Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. When we reached this point in the argument, and it was clear to all that his account of justice had turned into its opposite, instead of answering, Thrasymachus said, Tell me, Socrates, do you still have a wet nurse? What's this? Hadn't you better answer my questions rather than asking me such things? Because she's letting you run around with a snotty nose and doesn't wipe it when she needs to. Why, for all she cares, you don't even know about sheep and shepherds. Just what is it I don't know? You think that shepherds and cowherds seek the good of their sheep and cattle and fatten them and take care of them looking to something other than their master's good and their own. Moreover, you believe that rulers in cities, true rulers, that is, think about their subjects differently than one does about sheep, and that night and day they think of something besides their own advantage. You are so far from understanding about justice and what's just, about injustice and what's unjust, that you don't realize that justice is really the good of another, the advantage of the stronger and the ruler, and harmful to the one who obeys and serves. Injustice is the opposite. It rules the truly simple and just, and those it rules do what it is to the advantage of the other and stronger, and they make the one they serve happy, but themselves not at all. You must look at it as follows, my most simple Socrates. A just man always gets less than an unjust one. First, in their contracts with one another, you'll never find, when the partnership ends, that a just partner has got more than an unjust one, but less. Second, in matters relating to the city, when taxes are to be paid, a just man pays more on the same property, an unjust one less. But when the city is giving out refunds, a just man gets nothing, while an unjust man makes a large profit. Finally, when each of them holds a ruling position in some public office, a just person, even if he isn't penalized in other ways, finds that his private affairs deteriorate because he has to neglect them that he gained no advantage from the public purse because of his justice, and that he's hated by his relatives and acquaintances when he's unwilling to do them an unjust favor. The opposite is true of an unjust man in every respect. Therefore, I repeat what I said before. A person of great power outdoes everyone else. Consider him, if you want to figure out how much more advantageous it is for the individual to be just rather than unjust. You'll understand this most easily if you turn your thoughts to the most complete injustice, the one that makes the doer of injustice happiest, and the sufferers of it, who are unwilling to do injustice, most wretched. This is tyranny, which through stealth or force appropriates the property of others, whether sacred or profane, public or private, not little by little, but all at once. If someone commits only one part of injustice and is caught, he's punished and greatly reproached. Such partly unjust people are called temple robbers, kidnappers, housebreakers, robbers, and thieves when they commit these crimes. But when someone, in addition to appropriating their possessions, kidnaps and enslaves the citizens as well, instead of these shameful names he is called happy and blessed, not only by the citizens themselves, but by all who learn that he has done the whole of injustice. Those who reproach injustice do so because they are afraid, not of doing it, but of suffering it. So, Socrates, injustice, if it is on a large enough scale, is stronger, freer, and more masterly than justice. And, as I said from the first, justice is what is advantageous to the stronger, while injustice is to one's own profit and advantage.
having emptied this great flood of words into our ears all at once, like a bath attendant, Thrasymachus intended to leave. But those present didn't let him, and made him stay to give an account of what he had said. I, too, begged him to stay, and I said to him, After hurling such a speech at us, Thrasymachus, do you intend to leave before adequately instructing us or finding out whether you are right or not? Or do you think it a small matter to determine which whole way of life would make living more worthwhile for each of us? Is that what I seem to you to think? Thrasymachus said. Either that, or else you care nothing for us and aren't worried about whether we'll live better or worse lives because of our ignorance of what you say you know. So show some willingness to teach it to us. It wouldn't be a bad investment for you to be the benefactor of a group as large as ours. For my own part, I'll tell you that I'm not persuaded. I don't believe that injustice is more profitable than justice, not even if you give it full scope and put no obstacles in its way. Suppose that there is an unjust person, and suppose he does have the power to do injustice, whether by trickery or open warfare. Nonetheless, he doesn't persuade me that injustice is more profitable than justice. Perhaps someone here, besides myself, feels the same as I do. So come now, and persuade us that we are wrong to esteem justice more highly than injustice in planning our lives. And how am I to persuade you if you aren't persuaded by what I said just now? What more can I do? Am I to take my argument and pour it into your very soul? God forbid, don't do that. But first, stick to what you've said, and then, if you change your position, do it openly and don't deceive us. You see, Thrasymachus, that having defined the true doctor, to continue examining the things you said before, you didn't consider it necessary later to keep a precise guard on the true shepherd. You think that, insofar as he's a shepherd, he fattens sheep, not looking to what is best for the sheep, but to a banquet, like a guest about to be entertained at a feast, or to a future sale, like a money-maker rather than a shepherd. Shepherding is concerned only to provide what is best for the things it is set over, and it is itself adequately provided with all it needs to be at its best when it doesn't fall short in any way of being the craft of shepherding. That's why I thought it necessary for us to agree before that every kind of rule, insofar as it rules, doesn't seek anything other than what is best for the thing it rules and cares for, and this is true both of public and private kinds of rule. But do you think that those who rule cities, the true rulers, rule willingly? I don't think it. By God, I know it. But, Thrasymachus, don't you realize that in other kinds of rule no one wants to rule for its own sake, but they ask for pay, thinking that their ruling will benefit not themselves but their subjects? Tell me, doesn't every craft differ from every other in having a different function? Please don't answer contrary to what you believe, so that we can come to some definite conclusion. Yes, that's what differentiates them. And each craft benefits us in its own peculiar way, different from the others. For example, medicine gives us health, navigation gives us safety while sailing, and so on with the others? Certainly. And wage-earning gives us wages, for this is its function. Or would you call medicine the same as navigation? Indeed, if you want to define matters precisely, as you proposed, even if someone who is a ship's captain becomes healthy because sailing is advantageous to his health, you wouldn't for that reason call his craft medicine. Certainly not. Nor would you call wage-earning medicine, even if someone becomes healthy while earning wages. Certainly not. Nor would you call medicine wage-earning, even if someone earns pay while healing. No. 
We are agreed, then, that each craft brings its own peculiar benefit? It does. Then whatever benefit all craftsmen receive in common must clearly result from their joint practice of some additional craft that benefits each of them. So it seems. And we say that the additional craft in question, which benefits the craftsmen by earning them wages, is the craft of wage-earning. He reluctantly agreed. Then this benefit, receiving wages, doesn't result from their own craft, but rather, if we're to examine this precisely, medicine provides health, and wage-earning provides wages. House-building provides a house, and wage-earning, which accompanies it, provides a wage, and so on with the other crafts. Each of them does its own work and benefits the things it is set over. So if wages aren't added, is there any benefit that the craftsman gets from his craft? Apparently none. But he still provides a benefit when he works for nothing. Yes, I think he does. Then it is clear now, Thrasymachus, that no craft or rule provides for its own advantage. But, as we've been saying for some time, it provides and orders for its subject and aims at its advantage, that of the weaker, not of the stronger. That's why I said just now, Thrasymachus, that no one willingly chooses to rule and to take other people's troubles in hand and straighten them out, but each asks for wages. For anyone who intends to practice his craft well never does or orders what is best for himself, at least not when he orders as his craft prescribes, but what is best for his subject. It is because of this, it seems, that wages must be provided to a person if he is to be willing to rule, whether in the form of money or honor or a penalty if he refuses. What do you mean, Socrates? said Glaucon. I know the first two kinds of wages, but I don't understand what penalty you mean or how you can call it a wage. Then you don't understand the best people's kind of wages, the kind that moves the most decent to rule, when they are willing to rule at all. Don't you know that the love of honor and the love of money are despised, and rightly so? I do. Therefore, good people won't be willing to rule for the sake of either money or honor. They don't want to be paid wages openly for ruling and get called hired hands, nor to take them in secret from their rule and be called thieves. And they won't rule for the sake of honor, because they aren't ambitious honor lovers. So, if they're to be willing to rule, some compulsion or punishment must be brought to bear on them. Perhaps that's why it's thought shameful to seek to rule before one is compelled to. Now, the greatest punishment, if one isn't willing to rule, is to be ruled by someone worse than oneself. And I think that it's fear of this that makes decent people rule when they do. They approach ruling not as something good or something to be enjoyed, but as something necessary, since it can't be entrusted to anyone better than, or even as good as, themselves. In a city of good men, if it came into being, the citizens would fight in order not to rule, just as they do now in order to rule. There it would be quite clear that anyone who is really a true ruler doesn't by nature seek his own advantage, but that of his subjects. And everyone, knowing this, would rather be benefited by others than take the trouble to benefit them. So I can't at all agree with Thrasymachus that justice is the advantage of the stronger. But we'll look further into that another time. What Thrasymachus is now saying, that the life of an unjust person is better than that of a just one, seems to be of far greater importance. Which life would you choose, Glaucon, and which of our views do you consider truer? 
I certainly think that the life of a just person is more profitable. Did you hear all the good things Thrasymachus listed a moment ago for the unjust life? I heard, but I wasn't persuaded. Then do you want us to persuade him, if we're able to find a way, that what he says isn't true? Of course I do. If we oppose him with a parallel speech about the blessings of the just life, and then he replies, and then we do, we'd have to count and measure the good things mentioned on each side, and we'd need a jury to decide the case. But if, on the other hand, we investigate the question, as we've been doing, by seeking agreement with each other, we ourselves can be both jury and advocates at once. Certainly. Which approach do you prefer? I asked. The second. Come then, Thrasymachus, I said. Answer us from the beginning. You say that complete injustice is more profitable than complete justice? I certainly do say that, and I've told you why. Well, then, what do you say about this? Do you call one of the two a virtue and the other a vice? Of course. That is to say, you call justice a virtue and injustice a vice? That's hardly likely, since I say that injustice is profitable and justice isn't. Then what exactly do you say? The opposite. That justice is a vice? No, just very high-minded simplicity. Then do you call being unjust being low-minded? No, I call it good judgment. You consider unjust people, then, Thrasymachus, to be clever and good. Yes, those who are completely unjust, who can bring cities and whole communities under their power. Perhaps you think I meant pickpockets? Not that such crimes aren't also profitable if they're not found out, but they aren't worth mentioning by comparison to what I'm talking about. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>